I'm Tanya Muhammad, and this is Act Two, New York. We just had this vision of like one vinyl record playing in like the rubble of destroyed America in like a ruined strip club, and it's just playing, and there's like dancers who are just dancing to it, like it's the last party on earth. Oh my God, God is real, and God wants us to be strippers. Welcome to Act Two of our fucking Pride show. I love burlesque. I'm a fan through and through. What's not to love? The glamorous fashion, the mischievous cheekiness, literally, and the lavish productions. Maybe that's because a large part of my childhood was spent in the deserts of Saudi Arabia and my Muslim homeland in Pakistan. But the art of the tease has always excited me. I'm envious of how these dancers command the stage and titillate with endless amounts of confidence. Both Seattle and New York have very strong classic burlesque scenes that are very lavish, very pageantry, very sexy. New York is a bit more punk rock. It's a little more it's a little more sleazy, but also way more decadent. Usually Seattle classic is a little more, I think, about making comments about about class and it always feels more about like coming from a queer femme identity whereas New York feels more like yeah I'm like I'm a fucking trash sex maniac but I'm also so fucking fancy and above you look at me look how I'm just dripping jewels that was Maggie McMuffin who's been performing burlesque since 2011 she was performing bicoastly in Seattle and New York till she finally made the big move to New York in 2018 Burlesque is usually performed indoors, on stages with oodles of ambience and special lighting. But in the pandemic world, things were slightly different. Me and Benetrix were actually planning a show based on the, the music from the movie Velvet Goldmine to happen in, I think, end of March, early April. We had this wonderful cast. We had done a couple of shows together and me and Benetrix just like really vibed. And we're like, oh, we both love this movie. We both love this music. Let's let's do a show. Found a venue, assembled a cast, everything went to shit. And both of us ended up sheltering outside the city, which, you know, I lost. I did. Um, I do regret that I left New York and that I can't be one of the people who stayed for the whole pandemic. Like, that was cowardly of me. But then me and Benetrix both came back to the city and we were like, you know what, outdoor shows are happening now. Like, we want to be doing something. And it wasn't even about really ego or like oh well I need to do this it was more New York is is a thriving city it is a, it is a city of survivors that is something that even before I lived here I understood and I admired and there's outdoor spaces in New York and we also saw people just like doing pop-up shows in parks and we were like we have to be able to find like a venue that we could do a show in and Sometime, like a week or two before Halloween, Benetrix just texts me in the middle of the night saying like, oh my God, I found a venue. It's a museum. And I was like, what the fuck are you talking about? And she's like, no, 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 no. It's really cool. These people that like I know from the poetry brothel and these people that like I went to college with, they, there's this museum called the City Reliquary. 
and I'm doing a show here on Halloween and I just came to like check out the space and there's a huge backyard and it's amazing and it's so fucking cool and I can give you a comp to the Halloween show so you can come check it out too and I did fell in love fell in love with the space fell in love with the people who are running it it was just one of those things that like oh my god god is real and god wants us to be strippers there are about 145 museums in New York the big ones everyone knows but there are a whole host of smaller ones spread out over all five boroughs, devoted to all aspects of New York arts and culture, no matter how niche or strange. One of these is a tiny space called the City Reliquary in Williamsburg, Brooklyn. Full name Jacob Ford. Since 2015, I've been involved in Museum with four M's. It's a museum in an abandoned elevator shaft in Tribeca. Um, that I do with two other people, Casey Atholl and Alex Kalman. And um, when I would docent there, a lot of people would ask if we had heard of or worked with the city reliquary, just visitors to the museum, who I guess are aficionados of small museums. And I'd never heard of it. So eventually I came over, instantly fell in love, uh, chatted with the volunteer at the front desk, became a member on site, I think, went to the 2017 City Reliquary members holiday party uh, got drunk and asked Dave Herman the founder if I could join the board and he said no and then six months later he called me and said I could. It's chock-a-block from floor to ceiling filled with the weirdest collections of all things New York past and present. Vintage seltzer bottles, Statue of Liberty souvenirs going back decades, tchotchkes galore of every flavor crowd the small space in Brooklyn, all with the mission of preserving the city's unique history and civic engagement. I want to know the story of the yard. The yard has been the new epicenter of COVID-era programming. Mm -hmm. um, what's interesting has been bringing performers in here who have never performed or even been here before. And just at first glance, they'll kind of see this weird layout in a whole new way. For example, we're looking at our large platforms here, which used to be kind of our makeshift stage, and then we would just scatter chairs across the mulch ground. But when the burlesque dancers came here last year, they just immediately looked at this tiny four by eight stage and decided that was the stage, and now all the chairs go on this platform. When some guys who do film screenings came, of course, they wanted to project on our screen frame, but they saw the stage as being right under it, in front of our shrine to secular lady liberty. Um, and then all the chairs will kind of be scattered out this way. So everyone sort of reorients our yard in a different way for each performance. The bar is not movable though, right? The bar is a treehouse that was an early reliquary 2007 Craigslist find. And no, it is immovable. Uh, so the bar is what everything else moves around. The, the space that we were doing it's in a fenced-in backyard. It's nestled between two residential apartments. Um, we, I mean, admittedly, we thought we weren't going to have a problem because we're like, we're performing in a backyard at a private venue. It's going to be fine. And then we got a noise complaint at like 7.30 p.m. on a Saturday for, our, I think, our second or third show. And I was like, this is the only burlesque show I've ever been to that, like, the cops have shown up. This is wild. <laughs> you know, the whole mission of the museum is civic engagement and so we don't want to in producing events you know become the bane of all our neighbors existence so our informal deal is 10 p.m amplified sound ends which has been an issue especially now that it only gets dark around 8 30 to 9 and some of the shows really depend on being in the dark 
like a projected cinema. But so far it's worked out. We cut the speaker at 10. Um, often people will kind of stick around or gather for a after party or if it's music, they'll just play acoustic for a while. And then, yeah, it, it really does feel like a pleasant outdoor backyard gathering. And I've actually seen some neighbors come by. And if anyone has been annoyed, I offer them free tickets to the next show. And often that helps a lot. Places like the Reliquary struggled to keep the lights on in the before times but they were in a perilous state after the long lockdown. The pandemic kind of just brought to a head what we had been dealing with, with for a while. And it just really forced our hand to think about saving the reliquary collection, but finding a new home for it. The idea was we would leave this storefront, but we would keep the collection together. We were looking for institutional partners or local universities that might be able to catalog the collection or turn it into like a museum studies project where they kind of store everything but then put on exhibitions. But as kind of a last ditch effort, we thought maybe we can just put out all the numbers, say we need 3,000 a month, start a new monthly membership program, $10 a month, see if we could get to 300 members and we pulled it off. And so far it's working out and the churn of people with expired credit cards or who cancel their memberships just about evens out with the new members we get from events or especially with monthly events like burlesque it just really becomes worth getting a membership if you're going to come to that every month instead of a $20 ticket every month get a $10 membership and you get one free ticket each month before we begin before we begin i have a few announcements i hope that's okay is that okay betty is that okay i told Benetrix that one thing i had always wanted to do in seattle but just never managed to do was i wanted to do shows that were just playing an album straight through that's it. Like, there's no MC in between. I've done shows that were music themed, and I love music shows. I think that they encourage a lot of different creative pathways that don't get opened up with other things. And then we sat down and went, okay, if we're going to do this, we don't know that we're going to make money. So we can only ask people who are also believing in the mission of, I just want to get on stage and like give people hope and give people fire right now. And we found, we found people. We found uh, Kita Saint Cyr, Quinceanera, and Esme Davro, who all of, who both of us had worked with before and had different relationships with. And we assembled the Last Chance Dancers. The Last Chance Dancers decided to host a monthly pop-up show in November of 2020, featuring a special guest, where they danced to an entire vinyl record. What if there was, I mean, this was like, it was like the deep of the pandemic when shit was like apocalyptic, where everyone was like, is this ever going to end? Is there any end in sight? Are we ever going to be able to have like actual shows again? And we just had this vision of like one vinyl record playing in like the rubble of destroyed America in like a ruined strip club and it's just playing and there's like, there's like these like dancers who are just dancing to it like it's the last party on earth. So that's why we call it Last Chance Dancers because we were like, listen, if the world is ending, we're throwing the party type vibes. This was a recommended spot and the concept of doing uh, just a start to finish vinyl and because we're all music lovers like we love we're all old souls and we just have <laughs> pretty good taste in music if I do say so myself you know and we love to pay homage to it's kind of a challenge though right to do a whole album it is it is one because for sure oh I'm so sorry it actually skips um, we do because real vinyl hello yeah. <laughs> And sometimes, you know, of course that poses a challenge, but it just makes all for the more, uh, like, in the moment, like, 
awesomeness, if you will, of like what we're trying to what we were trying to accomplish during such a very difficult time because we were doing this during the pandemic outside. Um, of course, at a much smaller scale and within, you know, CDC guidelines of what anything could look like, you know, very much just improvising with the times on top of, you know, trying to provide a good time with some of, you know, the most iconic music from the Stooges to David Bowie to Arctic Monkeys, Lady Gaga, and, you know, tonight with Queen and in honor of Pride Month. So, yeah, of course it very much poses a lot of challenges. Really cool because people get to push themselves and it's like even I, like no one is going to love every song on any album. Like, you know, it's really hard to find that. So everyone just kind of like picks their favorites and even if it's something that they're not passionate about, they kind of just like go, hey, this is a challenge. What do I do with this? Um, and it's just, yeah, it's really cool to have like that constraint, but also the freedom of the reliquary. I liked it because uh, vinyl records are, are very much relics in their own and we have a turntable that we usually just play museum background music with and so it felt like it was the perfect link between I guess like postmodern burlesque um, and then the museum the city reliquary kind of vibes of having a vinyl we also have an exhibit in the museum of uh, Little Egypt and she's widely known as the first burlesque dancer in New York City she was on Coney Island there are actually three women all who went by Little Egypt, so it's a little bit of a mismatch of a almost fictitious character. But That sounds like a great uh, theme night for one of your burlesque shows. Yeah, no, I've been talking with them. I really want to see if we can do something that is uh, related to the show um, that we're doing and try to get people who wouldn't normally go to a burlesque show. We're certainly getting that already, a good probably half to two-thirds of the audience. It's their first ever burlesque show. Certainly it is for me. I went from being a nerdy museum guy who did web development for money to now being a burlesque event producer. My name is Esme. I love this show specifically because it makes me push myself and my boundaries as being more creative and like, you know, we're doing this album, so let's use this piece of this act and this piece of that act and just put the thing together for this one show that, who knows, I probably won't ever do it again, but like, it's so special. And it pushes me to explore things that I wouldn't have explored otherwise, so. I don't have to tell you all that no one in this cast is straight. I don't know about people in the audience, but up here on stage, no, no hetero. For them, like, you really have to listen to their stories. Like, burlesque is very, like, feminist yeah. and empowering. Mm -hmm you know, our bodies and like that's an important what shape or size. That's the thing that I really love about it. Yeah, no, me too. That's why I started photographing it because I always saw like the sexy part and yeah, there's like, you know, there's sexiness, but it's beyond that. They were so taken with the strange hidden gem, they decided to dance for free. So all the ticket proceeds went straight to the city reliquary. They consistently drew new crowds and old reliquary regulars and has become one of the museum's landmark events. And boy, were they committed to performing. They danced outdoors, whether it was Brittany or the Black Keys, no matter what the weather gods threw their way. Outdoor burlesque is tricky because once you start getting naked, you start getting into dicier territory. But every time we saw an article or a tweet or something about someone saying like, New York nightlife is dead, New York is dead, New York is like quiet right now, it's sleeping. And we were like, fuck, fuck it is. We are out here freezing our tits off, literally 
like just freezing our tits off. I mean, I'm pretty sure I had like a snail trail that just iced over on my thigh during one show. It's like, no, New York is not dead. New York is still here and we're going to prove it. No, these guys were like always there, always performing, like no matter how cold it was. Really, that's that's the only hard thing. I actually love performing outdoors, uh, but yeah, in New York, weather can be tough sometimes. So we sat February down. We were like, let's not do it. But we did March and it was worse than January. It was 20 degrees. It was terrible. And we run the show twice in a night. So we were just, and we change outside, as you can see. We don't have a dressing room. So we, it was rough. We were like, Splitting knuckles, bleeding. Yeah, it was really hard. And right now is our first really big heat show, so we're also like, this is just as hard, and try not to have everything melt off. Well, it's a lot easier to take off your clothes when it's hot than cold. Yes, yes. But a lot of us is like, we have a lot of layers to take off, so it's like everything's sticking. The pasties are falling off because the one thing that should be sticking will not stick, which is the tape. But everything else is sticking to your person. But you know. And well, then we do also a lot of dirty things on stage where we just cover ourselves in Prosecco, so it's, it's very sticky, but we have a lot of fun doing it, and I, this is really my favorite part of every single month. I look forward to this. I'm very, very proud. I did have to make a case for what types of risk we were going to tolerate and what we weren't, but my, my focus the whole time was never promising safety or risk-free environment. It was just that. I think, like in all of life, there is more risk coming to a show than staying at your apartment, but you get to decide if that risk is worthwhile, and here's what we're going to do to mitigate that. We definitely danced with masks on for sure, like while it was, everything was happening, and I mean now um, all were vaccinated, and so with all the guidelines that have come with that, then that's, you know, now you see more faces, literally and figuratively. I was working throughout the pandemic. We were putting out shows outdoors the entire time. Masks, you know, distance, outside. We were doing it. So a lot of people have asked me that question, when was your first show? And I'm like, I did not stop. I stopped at the beginning when everybody stayed home for like, what, four or five months? Sure, I didn't perform but I was still putting things online. I was still, you know, filming stuff and doing burlesque and making costumes. The one thing I've heard over and over again is that New York is in the midst of a new roaring 20s. The act of heading out for the night is imbued with this pent up energy combined with an extreme apprehension post lockdown. And the performers feel the same rush as event and show bookings are hurled at them at warp speed. So how are you feeling now compared to last year at this time? Um, amazing, a little scared. So the re-entry process to the world post lockdown has happened so rapidly. Everything's open, everyone's booking shows, I'm booked all the time and so are all the other girls. And it's amazing that I'm like, are we just gonna pretend that didn't happen? Like we're, it feels like we're suppressing some serious trauma that we went through in the last year. It started getting busy like literally a month and a half ago. So like mid-April, like everything just started like kind of blooming and then it busted open and then we were trying to like hold on with our claws to the side of the train and now we've like, you know, gotten... How did it feel? <laughs> it felt good. It felt really good. There is a kind of groove that's like waiting to kind of just simmer back into the city and into nightlife. I mean, 
but ultimately it's been like with a bang of just, you know, shows and new things, which is great. It's really great. You had to be careful who you told about these events because some people really felt they were irresponsible or immoral to be mm -hmm. doing. But it did like imbue it with a really cool speakeasy sort of mm -hmm. uh, feeling that I liked where you're like, yeah, it was like there are just as many audience members as performers sometimes. Yeah. But then you yeah. all just hang out afterwards. Mm -hmm. It's amazing to like get everybody's energy right now. Everyone's so thirsty to be entertained. It's it's really incredible to be out there and entertaining people. Somebody was telling me that there's all of a sudden this social anxiety. You don't know how to be social anymore. Exactly, yeah. I mean, I've always been awkward, so now I feel like it's a uh, even playing field, you know? <laughs> I can like, I can be awkward and everyone else is awkward too and I just blame the pandemic, it's fine. During a time that was just so uncertain and again, improvising with what was given and then taken away and whatnot, I think we really just kind of stepped up to the plate of bringing a very, uh, I would say, ruckus high end of nightlife, but at a discount prices. No, oh, it's awesome. Antics for discount prices, as Maggie says. There you go. There was the New York Times article, I think two months ago now, that kind of talked about the future of theater and performance being outdoors. And I could literally feel a change in people's approach to deciding whether to come to these events based on that article, where before it was kind of this a little bit uh, underculture, a little bit um, kind of rebellious secret outdoor programming and then after the New York Times approves of outdoor events as a way to save the city now it's like it's almost your responsibility to go to outdoor events. Jacob Ford, former docent and new found nightlife burlesque producer credits the last chance dancers as literally saving the museum when they were on the verge of closure. Even though the streets are less dire now the dancers still donate their entire ticketing revenue to the reliquary, despite their overbooked, busy schedules. He keeps offering them the standard 50% performer cut, but they keep saying no and killing it in tips. Third, perhaps most important, please tip us. And when I say please tip us, I mean you must tip us. It's how we pay people like our very special guest, Mr. Jack Barrow. It is how we do things like buy our records and new lights. So you can tip us Venmo or Cash App at Last Chance Dancer. Just the one dancer because we are a collective, we are a Voltron of gay strippers. No one doubts how they've helped the reliquary. But something else happened in this hidden oasis, steeped in the history of New York and its artifacts. I think the dancers found something unexpected. Something not available to them in their normal indoor gigs, which are now in full swing. They discovered a freedom and an unrestricted abandon that was not possible in their art in the before times. Yeah, people are always a little interested when I say, oh yeah, we're performing at a museum because you you say you're producing a show and they're like oh what venue is it at and it's like oh no it's a, it's not one of the venues because there are several venues that are very burlesque friendly in new york that a lot of burlesque shows happen so when a new thing happens it's like oh i wonder what that bar is like it's like oh it's not a bar it's a museum which has opened up a lot of doors for us because they aren't subject to the same blue laws and liquor licensing that a bar or a theater is 
So we can, we have so much artistic freedom there that we wouldn't have if we were doing a show in a more standard environment. You can get fully naked on stage, which is not something that a lot of indoor places let you do. How come? Like, why is that allowed here? It's because we're a nonprofit here. Wow. <laughs> yeah, so it's a nonprofit museum, so we get away with a lot of things like being able to be fully naked. We get to make a mess because we're outdoors, so we've like literally smashed TVs with baseball bats. We've had pinatas full of condoms. We've like, I mean, you saw tonight, we had like champagne everywhere flying and like glitter. Like, we don't get to do that at a lot of shows. Like, there's like a really strict, like, anti mess policy at a lot of indoor places, so we feel fucking free to do whatever the hell we want. The museum will continue to be our focus and it continues to be what I think needs to be the center, but it's bringing in people who normally wouldn't just go to a museum or who have had this place on their to-do list for a long time, but then a show gives them the perfect excuse to come by and then explore the museum on your way in and out. I feel like we're getting more walk-ins off the sidewalk um, since COVID, just people who have never heard of the museum but are now attracted to it or the it's almost become a joke among our volunteers, the number of people who walk in and say, I've walked past this space every day and never thought to walk in until now. Well, people are stuck in their neighborhoods more, I guess, so they're forced to like walk around and explore. I think that's it. Yeah, there's an extra cherishing of local establishments. This is a collection of all New York. Like, who doesn't love that? So it pays homage to the city, to the nightlife, to all that once was and all that it could be. And, you know, it very much is becoming a part of history amongst history. It's really cool. Some of the people who are doing um, other shows there, there's a new music series for live music that's happening. There's poetry readings. There's all sorts of events happening at City Reliquary. And I keep stressing to people like, please become a member. I just love that little museum so much. And I just want it to keep going. Not even, not even just for like me and my, but just for everyone to be able to experience like, the down and dirty history of New York and just like weird little niche bits of it. And all the, all the heart, like this isn't a museum, this isn't just a museum for like weirdo tourists to come and see something off the beaten path. Like it is a museum that is for New Yorkers to learn about New York history. I want to make sure that as we keep doing events and maybe become this accidental events venue that the, the museum and its mission of civic engagement remains the kind of the core that drives everything else. I really like this new role I've taken on as events producer, but I just, I wanna make sure that I don't lose the focus on running a museum and keeping small museum culture alive in New York. So that's more of a reminder to myself, but I hope people who come here discover this intriguing museum in a way that's not stodgy or like led by a tour guide. This is Act 2 New York, a production of Race Car Radio. My name is Tanya Muhammad, and I produce the show along with Garrett Tiedemann, who also does the post-production, original music, and sound design. Production manager, Gabriella Montequin. Our executive producer is David Hoffman, who composed our theme music. For more information on the City Reliquary and their events, head to their website at www www.cityreliquary.org or on their Instagram at cityreliquary, one word. You can find out more about the Last Chance Dancers on their Instagram page at Last Chance Dancers. 
There, you can find their individual handles and find out all about their shows. I'll have more information on the performers in this interview in our show notes and on our Facebook at Act Numeral 2 New York and Instagram at Numeral 2 New York spelled out. If you like our show, please do subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Leave us a rating and don't forget to tell your friends about us. Race Car Radio is a division of Citizen Race Car. We tell stories. Stories.